Well, hello, oddballs. It's your host, Bobby. And your co-host, Lexi. And this is Oddities on Elm Street. Welcome back. Episode 29. Vende nueve. You'll hear this week 24. (laughs) Thank you for that. Hopefully nobody was too worried uh, last week. We're Um, not dead. Right. We are very much alive. We took some time off to enjoy the holiday. And we did a hike with goats. And we went to an old asylum and did a tour. It was amazing. It was... What the fuck? It's Bill. No. <laughs> I thought it was Phil. <clears throat> um, yeah, but basically we, uh, we went up north and, uh... Said fuck everybody else. <laughs> it was a very busy time. We were busy gals. We were, yeah. Doing our thing. No, I think it would be cool for us to do a mini episode, though, to talk about our experience, especially at the asylum. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was super was spooky. Very cool. It was really cool. They literally just, like, let us roam free. I was, I was very surprised. Me too. I'm like, we're... We, You're just gonna let me. We were our go. own tour guides. I'm like, yeah, I can she's just like, go in this basement and then just walk around and right tour. The building's literally falling apart. Like, is this okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's like, yep. There's an attic and there's a basement. Just you, have fun if you want to listen. And we all, all you know, talk we all about split. things. We're like, okay, fucking see ya. Bye. <laughs> no, it was a really cool experience. Um, so yeah, go to our Patreon if you want to hear about that. It'll be out. Probably next week. Okay, so what do I have? Wait, should we give a little bit more of a teaser? We went to the Traverse City. It was called Traverse City State Hospital. Okay. Right? And it w- and when did they say it was shut down? Like in the 80s? <laughs> Just nothing in your eyes. <laughs> I literally no idea. Um... Yeah, so much for a teaser. <laughs> Great job. Okay, bitch, we went, we got to go mosey around this abandoned. It's like a cottage. Yeah, they call it a cottage mm-hmm. for the most disturbed men. men yeah, and we, we just like fucking went in there, and she's like, "Okay, like this is what we have." Right. See you in, like, 15 minutes or so. <laughs> yeah. And then we got to go in the tunnels. Yeah. Underneath. So they have two separate tunnel systems is what I was gathering from mm-hmm. the tour. They have the steam tunnels, which right. is where we went, which is, like, I guess how they heated mm-hmm. everything. And then they have tunnels that they would um, bring food to and from places and patients, too, so that they... Didn't have to... Whoever made it was, like concerned about he didn't want people to like come and take pictures like yeah he wanted privacy for the patients especially like during that day and age because you could literally end up there for no reason yeah that is a huge fucking thing that 
like I already knew it, but just to like be reminded again of like yeah. literally all you had to do is like go to the sheriff. Yeah. And what say you have two witnesses yep. to corroborate your story and be like, yeah, well, she's fucking insane. Yeah. She well, and especially if you were crazy. a woman, because then it's a man's word against yours, right, exactly, you know? Exactly, exactly. And, like, yeah, she was not submitting to me, so mm-hmm. she's obviously well, fucking delusional. Yeah, and the tour guide was talking about how, like, a lot of men would bring their wives there when they were, ha- like, had mistresses so that they could continue that relationship. Can like, you fucking what? imagine? And then, you like, you can't get out. Like, whoever... Yeah, you're there for life. Like, unless that person comes back and, and gets you. Yeah. Which is, like... Exactly. That doesn't seem like it quite adds up very Right. Well. well, and there were so many people that were put in there that were, like, pregnant out of wedlock. And right. their parents didn't want to deal with them because it was shameful. Right. And just the, the... It's just crazy. Like, I think... Like you said, I knew that that was happening, but having the firsthand experience is completely yeah, just mind-blowing. Right. And our tour guide, I thought it was very interesting to hear it from her perspective because yeah. what her dad worked at the hospital for like 33 30 years, years or something. something. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Like, she got married at the church chapel, mm-hmm. like on the property. She was a lovely tour guide. Definitely. Um. Oh, yeah. And like... You're a fucking woman going through menopause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because your symptoms sweating. are right, right. Oh my gosh. You're sweating an ear. Yeah, that, that could end you up in an insane asylum, I guess. It's very it was a very uh interesting experience for show. I loved it. I've always wanted to do that. I'm really glad that we got to. Yeah, it was a very interesting. It was very historical, but also very like like eerie and spooky too yeah it was it was great anyways so yeah that was honestly an experience of a lifetime i thought that I was had a so cool fabulous weekend <sighs> me too fabulous weekend me too bob and i went on an hour-long walk with with goats, goats. that was so was, amazing i love i, I did goats it last now. year by myself Cause fuck me, right? But then <laughs> it, was, it was much more fun with you this time. Yeah, it was a cool, but, wow, a cool thing. I to need do. a goat in my life. I know they're so lovely. I just love them. Oh my god, we should post some. Oh, absolutely on Patreon. Patreon. I'll. I'm gonna post that stuff on my Instagram. Are you kidding me? You need to do some of the one with the baby, the like super the baby infant goat. one. That's like. <laughs> I know. It's like so constantly. Cute. It's like, I know. It melts oh, your heart. Fuck. Yes. Just want to put you in my trunk. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a great weekend. And I'm officially 27. So you are. Happy what belated the birthday. Fuck? And here comes you right on next. <laughs> yep. Saturday. It sure is. Okay, I'm gonna do my morbid tidbit. Uh, I feel like it's been so long. I know. Are we doing this right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay, so uh, there has recently been a man 
who just called police out of the blue to confess to being a serial killer. His name is Raul Meza Jr. And he recently just confessed to two two more like recent murders, not super recent, but like one of them took place, I want to say a few years ago, and then the other one was recent. Um, but he was already convicted of a murder that happened back in the 80s. So now they're thinking that he probably has a lot more victims than just the ones that they know about. Like, they think that he might have actually committed more than a dozen murders. Oh my god, where is he? Um, where does he live? He's currently in Texas. But his first murder was back in 1982, and it was an eight-year-old girl. She was riding her bike to elementary school Fuck. when Raul grabbed her, raped her, and strangled her, and then uh, she was found naked in the school's dumpster. Yeah. And he so, got out? Yes. Yes. That's what I'm saying. He was convicted of raping and killing an, an eight-year-old eight girl, girl, and he is still able to go on with his life. Yeah. So, and the thing is, too, is... After he did that, he confessed to that murder, too. Like, he called police, just like he did just recently, and confessed. He was given a 30-year sentence, but he only served 11 years because of good behavior. Oh, fuck that 11 shit. years for 11. killing an 8-year-old girl. So, yeah, back oh, in... Oh, my God. Back in 2019, police found the body of a 66-year-old woman named Gloria Lofton, she was found inside her home in Austin, Texas, and at the time, they didn't even suspect that her death was a homicide. So, really, yeah, and then four years later, on May 20th of this year, police were called to do a welfare check at a house. This year? This year. And they found, at that house, they found um, an 80-year-old named Jesse Fraga with a belt around his neck. And then four days after they found his body, that's when he called police and admitted that he was responsible for Jesse's murder and the unsolved murder of Gloria that happened back in 2019. So, like, if he hadn't confessed to her murder, they probably wouldn't have, have ever been. known yeah, that she right. was killed because um, they never ruled her death a homicide. But Jesse was actually... Raul's former probation officer from his uh, crime that, in the 80s from the murder the murder of the little girl. Oh my god, how long was he on parole? I have no idea, actually. Wow. Uh, so yeah, police finally caught up to Raul. They took him into custody. He was staying in a hotel, and when they went into his room, they found zip ties, duct tape, a flashlight, a gun ammo. So they're pretty confident that he was planning to kill another victim soon. So wow. yeah, that's our morbid tidbit for the day. Jeez. It's so crazy. I don't know why, but it's so crazy to me that like there are active serial killers. I was literally just going to say, like, think about how many yeah. there are just out doing their thing. I just saw a video that, I, and I don't know how accurate it is, but um, it was saying that 
I think like the top three for serial killers is the US at number one, obviously. And then I think it's the UK and then Canada. Hmm. And I believe so. And then um, it's pretty much like one per every 100,000 person people is a serial killer in the US. One per every 100,000 people. Like that's That blows my mind. However, I don't know if this is going to sound bad or not, but I feel like... Because the criteria for being considered a serial killer is to kill two or more people with time, like a cool down time in between. Mm-hmm. Which... I don't know why. I feel like it should be more than two. Maybe just because of how desensitized I am to all this. But I so don't... it has to be more than two, or is two and above? From what I have heard, now I'm gonna fucking check. <laughs> but to my knowledge, it is two or more. Okay. I mean, honestly, two or more makes sense to me because. If you're going to kill somebody just, like, in a fit of rage, you're only going to do that once in your life. You know what I mean? Like, that's, you're, that's you're killing true. a person. Uh, to do that more than once is is more than just uh, like, like, an act of, right. like, you're like, out of yourself like or whatever. Like, seeing red kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Because to me, that feels more premeditated. Than just, yeah. I'm just going to kill this person because I'm angry or whatever. Um, who knows? But Interesting. still crazy. Very crazy. So today we're going to talk about the case of Bobby Dunbar. Um, did you know about this case before? I've, I've heard about it, but it's like, I couldn't really tell wild. you a whole lot about it at all. It blows my mind in the worst way possible it really does um but yeah it's it's kind of going to be weird saying my name over and over again <laughs> i don't have a I, mean, I don't have a super popular name so i've never been well, in this men, situation you that's true i am <laughs> named after my uncle <laughs> oh god um but yeah that's let's let Let's get into it, I guess. Back on August 23rd, 1912, the Dunbar family went to um, Swazi Lake in Louisiana, mm-hmm. which this is in Louisiana. Um, we would probably consider a, a swamp. swamp. <laughs> uh, not like a, a luxurious. We're on, the, we're on the same page. Okay. <laughs> that was okay. my thought. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they go to Swazi. I think that's how you say it, Swazi. And they're planning to camp and fish there. And at the time, um, the Dunbar family is made up of the parents, Bobby, who is just four years old, and his younger brother. Mm-hmm. They spent the day by the lake. They were fishing, playing in the water. And then the family went to sleep in the tent that they had set up. But when the parents, Lessie and Percy, awoke the next morning, they realized that Bobby was missing. So they immediately start searching for him, but the only thing they're able to find is a set of small footprints leading away from the tent, which led them to believe that he must have 
wandered out of the tent alone while they were asleep because their search for him turned up nothing. They called police. So local police show up, state police get involved, and they start a statewide manhunt for Bobby Dunbar. They searched the... It's so interesting to me. Like, this is 1912. Very different time. It's so interesting to me, the measures that they took. (laughs) Because, you know, they're searching the lake, of course, but they're dissecting alligators. Right. I know. When I... When (sighs) I... I was like, ah. I mean, it makes sense, but like in in today's world... It wouldn't happen. No. What are you going to do? Just fucking... Oh, yeah, that gator's here. Let's fucking slice her open. Right, like, you're not going to capture all the gators that are living in the swamp. I mean, I don't know. And then they threw dynamite into the water. Right. Because they're hoping that it would, like, eject his body out if he were trapped under something. Right. And, like, dredging up all the water, too, which is not near as weird, but, like, that's a lot. Yeah. Um... But unfortunately, none of those efforts worked in locating Bobby Dunbar. So obviously, his parents were devastated. And because none of the efforts made by police actually located the body, Mm -hmm. they thought in their mind that it made sense that somebody must have taken him. So they scraped together some reward money and they continued to look for their son The town that they live in also comes together to help by putting some money towards the reward. And I think all in all, they had like $125,000 in today's money. Like It was a big reward. Yeah, it was like $1,000 back then. Yeah, but But in today's, over 100 years later. Yeah, that's, I sure as fuck don't have that. Right. Eight months later, they got the best news of their lives. A boy matching Bobby's description had been found in Mississippi. A man named William Cantwell Waters, who is, he's like a traveling handyman. He would go into people's houses. He specialized in tuning pianos and organs. Not really relevant. I just thought, what an interesting job to have. <laughs> I don't think of handyman when I hear right, that. Right. Um, but anyway, so William Walters had been seen with this boy that resembled Bobby Dunbar. And when authorities finally caught up to William, he claimed that the boy wasn't Bobby Dunbar, but instead was a boy named Charles Bruce Anderson. Mm-hmm. He also said that the mother of this boy, Julia Anderson, worked for his family and that she gave permission for the boy, who we'll just be referring to as Bruce, because mm-hmm. that's what he went by, um, gave permission for the boy to accompany him right. on his travels. Um, it is important to note that Julia Anderson is a single mother, which is a huge deal in 1912. With two different baby daddies, which is... Yeah. She was uh, chewed alive yeah for that which is just fucking crazy it really is um and she holds a job working with william's family which is also huge women did not work during this time they raised their children not a ton of women working in 1912 so 
Even while working for William's family, she still has a hard time being able to support herself and her son, Bruce. So William would kind of offer to care for him in some way um, by bringing him on these trips so that she could focus on working and making enough money. And he kind of took Bruce under his wing. Mm-hmm. And also there was a lot of speculation that William was actually Bruce's uncle because he, when he was questioned by police, he claimed that Bruce was the, quote, illegitimate child of his brother. Mm. So, for that reason, okay. people that are thinking more sense. they're related. Yeah. yeah. So, William is telling police all of this. They don't believe his story. They, which is crazy to me, because even the residents in that town confirmed William's story. Um, but they take him into custody and they charge him with kidnapping, which at the time is a capital offense. So you're, you're donezo at that point, which is also crazy. Right. <sighs> so they take the boy that William claims is Bruce Anderson and they bring him back to Louisiana to resume his life as Bobby Dunbar. So police have taken this boy and they bring him to a place in Louisiana, not to his home, somewhere like neutral, but Mm -hmm. the boy had fallen asleep. So when he's reunited with his family, he had just woken up. And so there's a news article that claims that this boy, he opened his eyes and shouted mother Mm -hmm. in like a joyous manner once he saw Lessie and ran up to embrace her. But then there's other accounts that say that nobody was really sure of what was happening. Well, and let me just say, he's been missing for eight months. It's not like these reunions where the kids have been missing for years and years. And you're worried that they don't even remember who you are anymore. Um, It's eight months. It's eight months. And he's four years old. Like... It's not like he's he was three months old when he went missing. Right. You That's know? a whole different story. Um, I mean, it's still a long time, but in my opinion, uh, a four-year-old doesn't change so much no. during eight months that you don't recognize them anymore. Right. Uh, or that he doesn't even recognize you. I, yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's I just would just weird. immediately know that that's my son. I mean, you, you birthed him. Like... I don't, I mean, I don't have one, but I would assume. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's just my opinion, because I've never been in this situation, and I hope to God I never am, but, yeah. So, some people are saying that Lassie and Percy were pretty hesitant to say that the boy was their son, Bobby, Mm -hmm. at least initially, but they still took him home, and the mother, Lassie, specifically had a hard time with all of this, but then she came back and said that after she had the chance to bathe the boy, she was confident that it was her son. Because, I guess in her mind, she was able to identify some moles and scars on his body that she remembered her son Bobby having. Mm -hmm. After this revelation, police allowed the Dunbar family to take the boy back into their home permanently. Now, like I was saying earlier, William Walters is sitting in jail for kidnapping, but he doesn't change his story. He's super adamant that he didn't kidnap this boy, but that 
the boy's mother gave permission for him to travel with him. And most importantly, that the boy wasn't Bobby Dunbar, but was Bruce Anderson. And just days after his arrest, William Walters writes a letter to Percy Dunbar. It says, I see that you got Bruce, but you have heaped up trouble for yourselves. I had no chance to prove up, but I know by now you have decided you are wrong. It is very likely I will lose my life on account of that. And if I do, the great God will hold you accountable. That boy's mother is Julia Anderson. You ask him and he will tell you. I did not teach him to beg or bum, but inasmuch as you have him, take good care of him. So you have a lost Robert and me a lost Bruce. May God bless my darling boy. Write me if I don't get lynched. I think you will be sad a long time, but hope not too bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's Damn. really fucked up, though. Like, he is... I mean, I don't know how they did the death penalty back in 1912. I'm sure it was, like, not lethal injection. It was probably like hanging. Um, but, God, just some, I can't imagine that. Like, and, <sighs> and again, it's like... Just word, word of mouth. It's it's all right. speculation. How helpless of a feeling. And you're just to know like the truth and not be believed, and you're and now gonna, you're gonna die for it. Yeah, it's so. There's nothing like, like literally nothing you can do. <sighs> um, the good thing is though that William was let out, which is also crazy to me because if they really think that this man kidnapped a little boy. And they're just letting him out after, like, a year and a half in jail. Um, It was in 1914, and remember, Bobby Dunbar went missing in 1912. So I guess media attention calmed down, and there was some, like, some type of new evidence. I don't Mm -hmm. know what it was, but he requested a new trial. And even though he was granted a new trial, the town had spent so much money on the first trial that instead of having another one, they just let him go. And that's that's so fucking crazy. The like, they think this man kidnapped a little boy. And they're like, yeah, but we, we're not going to spend the money on it. Like, just... We already did it once. Right. What is this, this system of law? I don't understand. Is this happening in Mississippi or in Louisiana? Um, Mississippi. Not too long after the Dunbar family had claimed this little boy as their son, Bobby, a woman named Julia Anderson shows up at their doorstep. Oh, my God. It's almost like she's not going to give up. Um, Sir, you have my child. Like what? And so just for context, Bobby goes missing in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. That's where the Dunbar family lived. Mm -hmm. William Walters was stopped. In Mississippi with a boy. And Bruce's mother, Julia Anderson, lives in North Carolina. So she Hmm. traveled from North Carolina to Louisiana to confront the Dunbar family, which is like, yeah, of course. Like, who wouldn't? This is your child. But how did you get there? I don't know. Like, you're on a wagon ride for how many days? Right. Like, 
I mean, that's that's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot lot of effort. I can't imagine, and probably a lot of money. I can't imagine doing that for somebody that's not my son. That's all I'm gonna say. (laughs) Um. So right (laughs) when Julia shows up at the Dunbar home, she is backing up William's story that the him and the boy would travel together and that the boy that they had just welcomed back into their family was actually her son. So in order to settle this, they brought in five pictures, five different but very similar looking boys who were all around the same age, and they asked her to identify which was her son, Bruce. She couldn't pick him out. Well, how long have they been separated? Right, so that's the thing. Julia would never admit that her son was away from her for more than a few days, okay? But William, according to William, her son had been traveling with him for up to a year at a time. So if that's true, okay, I can see it. A year worth of time, like, you know, maybe they're all similar looking. Maybe you, you can't really tell. I don't know. This is... 1912. I'm sure photo quality wasn't great. Right. Right. Um, But she wouldn't admit that probably because she's worried about how it would look. Like everyone already knows that she's struggling to care for him financially. And that she's. So then to say, like, I'm going to send my kid off with some dude for a year. Yeah, that's. So she keeps insisting that she would never allow her son to go more than a few days on these trips with William. But again, She's in North Carolina. William was in Mississippi. Does it only take a few days to get there by horse and buggy? I I, don't know. I would think... I would think more than that. Right, right. So, she fails this little lineup situation, and then she's basically given the same opportunity that Lessie was given, which was to undress the boy and look at any of his identifying features like scars and moles Mm -hmm. which sounds kind of creepy when you say it like that but yeah once julia had the chance to do that her suspicion that this was her son bruce only grew stronger but unfortunately word had already began spreading Mm. that she wasn't able to pick him out of a lineup so So at this point her word is worth nothing right so According to Google Maps, it's a 14-hour drive and a 13-day-long walk. So From, from North, North Carolina, Carolina to, to Louisiana? Louisiana. Oh, and, right, like, I don't have, like, the specific places, cities or whatever, but still. Well, and that's with highways. <laughs> right. Like, that's, but that's why I say, like, in 13 days to walk. Yeah. So, and, right. And 14 hours, is it's a long drive. That's a long yeah. time. And you're pretty much, like you said, just going a straight highway. Yeah. I, yeah. It, Imagine dirt roads. Right. It and, had to, at, I don't know, at minimum, take a week just to get I would think so. There. Yeah. I would think so. Depending on what kind of... Weather you run into mm-hmm. and... Right. And if you have a horse and buggy if you're like hitchhiking in a sense i know i'm really interested to know like how that all worked Mm -hmm. for them specifically right Hmm. interesting um so yeah you know 
everybody already knows that she couldn't pick her son out of these photos. So, and also like her morals are being called into question because she already, she actually had three children, but mm-hmm. one of them died. And so, and then another, another one was given up for adoption. And then she had Bruce out of wedlock. So. And then in 1912, I'm sure right. that that is just like the devil in flesh. Exactly. Um, so yeah, because of that, like nobody gave a single fuck about anything she, she had to, to say. say. Right. They called her a prostitute. They called her illiterate. They blamed her for the death of her child. All sorts of just disgusting, horrible things. Oh, um, like one of the newspaper articles that I found from that time that mm-hmm. was published in New Orleans said she was worse than an animal. It said, quote, animals don't forget, but this big, coarse country woman, several times a mother, she forgot. Children were only regrettable incidents in her life. Of true motherly love, she has none. <gasps> Isn't that oh my God. so fucked up? Someone fucking just wrote that and published it. In yes, that. in the newspaper in New Orleans. Wow. Like I can't, I can't imagine. The, I just that like, what do you do at that point? You know, this is what people think of you. That's brutal. For trying to get That's your your brutal. son back. Wow. Um, she also didn't have any money to go to court over this. So her only option really left was to return home to North Carolina without her son, Bruce. Right. She did come back to William's kidnapping trial to speak about his innocence and try to convince the court that the boy was her son. But many of the locals who were at that trial had also attested to the fact that they were familiar with William and this little boy. Mm-hmm. And that they had seen the two of them together before Bobby Dunbar had even gone missing. Uh, but even with all of that, the court still reached the determination that the boy was, in fact, Bobby Dunbar. William Walters was convicted of kidnapping. And the little boy remained in the custody of the Dunbar family to live out the remainder of his life as their son, Bobby Dunbar. So after the trial, the town of Poplarville, Mississippi, where the trial had taken place, thankfully they welcomed Julia Anderson with open arms and she was able to begin a new life there. Oh, wow. Because remember, these are people that during William's trial are saying, hey, we see this boy with William all the time. So they, they're they taking Julia's side, right? Um, she eventually married and went on to have seven children. Oh, dang. And according to some of her descendants, she helped found a church. She served as a nurse and a midwife. <laughs> and... Although her children indicated that she had a happy life after settling in Poplarville, she continued to speak about her lost son that their family always considered having been kidnapped mm-hmm. by the Dunbars. Mm-hmm. 
The Dunbars moved on with their lives after being reunited with who they believed was their son, Bobby Dunbar. I honestly wonder if they truly believed that it was him or if it was just easier than accepting what... You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe it's easier to... I don't want to say replace. Almost like trick yourself. Right, right. Like you don't have to face reality that... Exactly. He's gone. Yeah. Because um, I just I just feel like maybe they had a gut feeling that it wasn't him. And you'll hear why, but basically, like, after this, their lives fall apart. And so it kind of leads me to believe that having who they thought was their son back didn't solve the problems that they thought it would. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So in, in 1920, so eight years after Bobby's disappearance, the mother, Lessie, suddenly left the family and later filed for divorce. And that same year, actually on the eighth anniversary of his son's disappearance, Percy was arrested after he beat and stabbed a man in Florida. Clearly... They didn't really move on. But we don't really have much outside of that until 1932. That year, in 1932, the Lindbergh baby was stolen, which I hadn't heard of this, so I had to look into it a little bit. The Lindbergh baby was the 20-month-old son of a famous aviator named Charles Lindbergh and his wife, Anne Morrow Lindbergh. Their baby, Charles Jr., was kidnapped from his nursery on the second floor of their home in New Jersey. So while this is happening, it's kind of taking over headlines, and the new Bobby Dunbar is interviewed and asked to give some insight about his experience of being a stolen baby. The interview he gives is interesting, to say the least. Um, He says that while he was traveling as a young boy with William Walters, there was actually another little boy. And he said that this boy had fallen off the wagon and died. So they had to bury him on the side of the roadway. So because our new Bobby Dunbar says this during an interview that's getting a lot of press attention, people start to believe that, like, this confirms that this really is Bobby Dunbar. Because they're thinking, okay, so Bobby and Bruce were traveling together with William Bruce must have been the little boy that fell off the wagon and died. So if there was any anyone with a seed of doubt in their minds still, this cleared it up for them. Hmm. They're thinking, you know, that's why this woman, Julia Anderson, was so adamant that this boy was her son. So Bobby Dunbar grows up. He gets married. He has four children. Uh, one of his sons is named Bobby Jr., uh, just kind of awkward because it's like, are you sure? Are you sure that's your name? <laughs> are you sure he's a junior? <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> uh, and Bobby Jr. as an adult has a daughter named Margaret. So Margaret would be Bobby Dunbar's granddaughter. Mm-hmm. It's confusing because there's a, a whole lot of a Bobby Senior and a Bobby Junior, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, so Margaret growing up has always heard the story of her grandfather's kidnapping Mm -hmm. as a child. And around 2000, 
Margaret's father, Bobby Jr., gifted her a photo album with, like, a bunch of newspaper clippings and stuff about her grandfather's case. So Margaret started doing research and eventually stumbled upon the genealogy for Julia Anderson. Uh, Because remember, this is now the 21st century. We have all sorts of new capabilities. Mm -hmm. She found a note on this website while looking at Julia's genealogy. This little note said that Julia had a son named Bruce Anderson who was kidnapped from North Carolina when he was six years old and taken to Louisiana. She tried to get him back, but the people who had kidnapped him won in court and changed his name to Bobby Dunbar. So in that moment, Margaret is confused because like, that's not what I that's hear not my the story life. she heard, right? Right. Like she knew about this whole alleged kidnapping, but she never heard it from the perspective of Bobby actually being Bruce Anderson. Right. Um, so she's just like, Well, that's a really strange way of telling that story. So she goes on to contact the granddaughter of Julia Anderson. And after speaking with Julia's granddaughter, who was named um, Linda Tarver, she realizes that Linda had also been told this story her entire life, but from the opposite viewpoint. Margaret, How interesting. Right. Margaret heard it as her grandpa was Bobby Dunbar and had always been Bobby Dunbar. Mm-hmm. But Linda had heard that Bruce Anderson was kidnapped and became mm-hmm. Bobby Dunbar. And so the two of them, Margaret and Linda, join forces to try to solve it once and for all. But they, what they discovered was that they couldn't really get over their own personal bias about which side of the story was true. Mm -hmm. Um, So that kind of had put some underlying animosity in between the two of them during the time that they were researching together. But the real breaking point came when Margaret was asked to prevent, uh, to present what she had found out about her grandfather's case for some event at a historical society. And the presentation she gave pretty much followed exactly what the press was reporting during that time back in mm-hmm. 1912 as it was happening, including the really shitty stuff that they were saying about Julia Ju- Anderson, right. which is Linda's grandmother. So the whole time, Linda, Julia's grand granddaughter, is sitting right there in the crowd listening to this and obviously is, like, not happy at all. And Linda told Margaret afterward, uh, that woman that you maligned in your reading today, that could very well turn out to be your great-grandmother, which I was like, damn, right? Linda. Um, So Margaret, after all of this, kind of talked about some other things that Linda told her, one of which being that she needed to stop focusing so much on the Anderson family and look into Percy and Lassie Dunbar if she really wanted the truth. Right. And Margaret admitted that she needed to set aside what she believed and look into it with fresh eyes. So that's what she did. Even though this tension was uncomfortable, they... It it brought some good out of the situation because it allowed her to step outside of her reality. Good for them for, like, right. being able to acknowledge. I 100% agree. That's beautiful. And that's a hard thing for people to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
But yeah, it's like, do you want the truth or do you want to just keep on the truth that on with, your family is, right, you know? Right. Um, so Margaret started looking into the Dunbar family specifically mm-hmm. with the help of Linda. Interesting. And they came across the legal file for William Walters. Mm-hmm. And in that file, they see affidavits from dozens of witnesses that say they had seen William with the boy before Bobby Dunbar was reported missing. There were, like, handwritten letters to William while he was in prison. But what really changed everything was when they found an anonymous letter that was signed by someone who identified themselves as the Christian woman. (laughs) What? (laughs) The letter said, Dear Sir, In view of human justice to Julia Anderson and mothers, I am prompted to write you. I sincerely believe the Dunbars have Bruce Anderson and not their boy. If this was their child, why are they afraid for anyone to see or interview him privately? I would see nothing to fear, and this seems strange. The Dunbars claim that if this had been their own child and he had been gone eight months, do you think his features would have changed so much? They would not know him only by moles and scars. This is a farce. If the Dunbars do not know their child, who has only been gone eight months by his features, why, they do not know him at all. The letter goes on. It's pretty long. But another thing that stuck out to Margaret was that this anonymous woman brings up the question of why Julia was scrutinized for not being able to recognize her son. But But Leslie Dunbar wasn't. Right. So that's when Margaret really began to question the story that she had been told her entire life. Interesting. She started to consider conducting a DNA test. So what she did is took, and this is where it gets kind of confusing, Mm -hmm. she took a swab from Bobby Dunbar Jr. and then compared it to a swab that she took from- So her dad? Her father, right. Okay. And then compared it to a swab that she took from Bobby's cousin Alonzo- who is absolutely a fucking purebred Dunbar, okay? Alonzo <laughs> Alonzo was the son of Bobby Dunbar Sr.'s little brother. Remember, he had a younger mm-hmm. brother that mm-hmm. was on the camping trip. Yeah. I know it's confusing, but... Yep, that makes sense. So, the little brother had a son named Alonzo, so she took DNA from him and from her father, Bobby Dunbar Jr., who was the son of the presumed missing boy, right. Bobby Dunbar Sr. Bobby Dunbar Jr., who the one who was DNA tested, pretty much gave it up like on his deathbed. Uh, he was at the hospital during the time for heart failure. And in an interview, he said that the only reason he ultimately consented to giving his DNA after all of this time was because he felt that it was his duty. Like, he felt that by doing this, it would prove once and for all that his father was, in fact, the Bobby Dunbar. Um, so he felt like it was his responsibility to prove mm-hmm. because back at the time this was happening, it, they didn't even have the ability to do this. So um, they got the results back. The test was conclusive. Bobby Dunbar Jr. was not at all related to the Dunbar family. The boy the Dunbars had claimed was their their missing son, Bobby, all those years ago, was in fact Bruce Anderson. 
Did they test him to anything, like any DNA from another? They like, didn't, but like who? I don't know. Who else would it be? You know Fuck what I mean? Fuck if I know. I mean, I see what you, I just didn't know if they were. Yeah. They were just like, yeah, let's I wondered too if they matched it up against like um, Linda Linda's DNA yeah. or something, but I don't think they did. Um, I think that just like gave them the answers they needed and they're yeah. like, okay with it. But it, I mean, it would be such a hard situation regardless. And I think the, I mean, you're rewriting your entire family history. Well, and your whole, I mean, that's got to be a big part of your identity growing yeah. up is hearing this story over and over again. Right. Of your father and your grandfather. Yeah. Well, and we're talking, yeah, exactly. We're talking about people who have lived very long lives mm -hmm. thinking that they know who they are and where they come from. Like, how different would this man's life have turned out had this situation never happened, you know? Right. There's so many what ifs. I know. Um, did William end up being, um, he did. He did get released in 1914. So okay, so he wasn't hanged or something. Mm -mm. Nope. nope. Interesting. Thankfully, right? Because yeah. how terrible would that be for an innocent man to... Not have died first, for this. Yeah. Right. Real. Um and what's sad too is that at this point none of the people involved are still alive. Bobby Dunbar Sr. is dead, Julia Anderson is dead, William Walters is dead. Like Julia and he, Anderson. Yeah, and, and uh William Walters died without his name ever have been like being cleared right. for a crime that he didn't commit. Right. Um, which I found his um it's not, like, his obituary, but, like, um, it's, I think it's on, like, findagrave.com where you can mm. see where people are buried mm -hmm. and leave comments. And there are so many comments of people saying, like, I'm glad that your name is being cleared and I hope that you know uh, in the afterlife that oh my God. this is happening. And so it was just really lovely to see that. Wow. Um but yeah, it's it's crazy to think about though, be because it's like if he really did steal a child, like why the fuck would they let him go after two years? But thank God they did because he was innocent all along. Right, right. Um, wow. How but yeah, sticky is that? I thought it was cool too because Margaret, she, obviously, like she has this information how she tells her father, Bobby Dunbar Jr. That his father, Bobby Dunbar, was actually Bruce Anderson all along. And Bobby Jr. decided to go with his wife to the Anderson home himself to tell them the results. And when he did, they embraced him and told him that they're, you know, we're all family. Um, so in a strange way, a hundred years later, a family is somewhat Reunite. reunited. Right. But Wow. It's it's still technically an unsolved mystery type of story, though, because that doesn't answer what happened to the real Bobby Dunbar. Did he drown? Was he right. eaten by an alligator? Right. Like, right. And He's... I don't think we'll ever know definitively. Right. All you can do is speculate. Wow. Yeah. I cannot imagine living my entire life thinking that I'm somebody else. And that my parents are not my parents. My siblings are not my siblings. Like, I would rock your world. And, like, having 
like all the hubbub about it. Yeah. Like the trials and all of this and that. I know. Like that's, that's a lot. Well, and it's just awful. Like the way that like Bruce's mother was treated just for trying to get her, get her son back. Right. Just brutally. And the fact that she died before she ever really knew. Right. But honestly, I kind of feel like it might be better that way. Because had she found out it's like on her deathbed that her this this young boy was her son Bruce all along, I'm sure it would give some sense of relief. But also like But also damn. the anger and like you would have to grieve an entire lifetime that you never got to spend with your son. He, I mean, I think Bruce Anderson was six when he was taken from her. You never got to see them grow up and get married and have kids and all of these amazing, wonderful things that you get to do being a parent. That's why I say, like, it's almost better to not know. Interesting. But it's not at the same time, though, because she does know. Like, she knows the truth. Right. Right. Ugh. Right. This case just frustrates the hell out of me. Wow. Do people have, like, do they speculate what actually happened to the real Bobby? Yeah. Um, most people think he wandered into the water. And, and either drowned or got eaten by something. A, an alligator. Right. Because they searched the lake. They dissected crocodiles, alligators, whatever. But it was 1912. Right. How thorough was their investigation? Sounds more like a swamp to me. I feel like it's hard. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And again, I feel like maybe as a mother, it's easier to just, you know, you're being presented with this opportunity to have your son back. Mm -hmm. Like, that might be easier than uh, coming to terms with the fact that your son probably had a very awful, scary death. Right. Um, but it's also frustrating because it's like, they should, they should know what it feels like to lose a son and they were fine taking another woman's son away from her. It's like, the fuck? So, yeah, that is the case of Bobby Dunbar. That's all I got for you today, ma'am. Yep. That's a, that's a case. All right. I know. So, I will redirect our audience over to patreon.com slash oddities on Elm Street if they want to hear about our experience over the weekend at the asylum. Oh, sorry. Um, also, I'll have pictures up on Instagram, not just from the asylum, but like our goat hike, oh my God. all that fun stuff, because ah. it was so cool. Um... And that is Instagram.com slash Bobby Curtis Lee. <laughs> and what else? What else we got? Okay. Um, my girl Rochelle yes. sent in her listener tag. Oh, so, fucking listener tag. I always forget. Yes. Oh my God. I'm so bad. We, <sighs> please send them on in. We've yes. got one brewing. We so sure do. If you want to have your story, story told. Your tale told. I love listener tales. Me too. There's just something about it. Um. Yeah. So please send those. Please. It's listener tales at gmail.com. gmail.com. I'll also post it in the podcast description because you know, right? Memory. And 
Okay. Um, well. But yeah, that's that's it for today's episode. I am so sorry we weren't here last week. Please don't hate us. We love you. Love you. <laughs> Anyways. Send in your listener tales. Send in your listener tales. And um, we'll see Check you out soon. our Patreon. Oh, yeah. Do yeah, all that good come stuff, check please. check us out. It'll be great. Yeah. You'll so love much it. fun. Mm. Okay. <laughs> okay. I hope you all have a lovely week. And please remember to always, always keep, keep it, it spooky. spooky.